This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. We have been super baseball heavy here on Play by Playcast over the last couple of weeks. I'm totally okay with that. I've really enjoyed our baseball conversations. But from a point of personal perspective, we are barreling toward the start of college football season. And that is where we will head on today's episode of PXP Cast. Welcome back in, everybody. My name is Joel Godet, the television and radio voice of the Ball State University Cardinals. If you want to get in touch, you always can do that on Twitter. We are at PXP Cast. I am at Joel Godet, J O E L G O D E T T. Or you can hit me up via email as well, J G O D E T T at BSU.edu. Uh, Things are getting crazy right now. It is 7.30 on Wednesday night as I record this, recording the uh, the Open a couple of days early this week. I'm still sitting in my office here in Muncie. I'm about to get a workout in and then go shoot some video of a preseason ritual our uh, women's soccer team does. Our soccer team. We don't have a men's team. Uh, that our soccer team does where they write down some season goals, put them in lanterns, so to speak, and uh, release them off into the night sky uh, just to kind of let their dreams fly and uh, basically catch them on the other end. Uh, just kind of a neat thing to to show about what our teams do. And I don't know if humanize is the right word, but just give you a different perspective of going out there, running around and, and kicking the ball into the net um, side of who the team is. So that's what tonight is. Uh, started our video board shoot with our women's volleyball team, was out at football practice today, uh, threw up a story on our defensive backs, uh, I've got a band video shoot next week. We're doing an intro video for the band this year. So lots on the plate. And I'm emceeing my first wedding ever, which I don't know how that's going to go. Uh, but that's coming up on Saturday. Hopefully I don't screw it up because I feel like that's an important milestone. But uh, life is crazy right now. That being said, did get the chance to sit down with, uh, I don't want to call him the voice of the West Virginia Mountaineers. Uh, he's just the guy that does the games on the radio, Tony Caridi. And you will understand why those last 15 seconds just happened the way they did uh, as we get toward the end of uh, this episode. But Tony is the guy that calls the games on the radio for West Virginia, and he's been such since the late 90s when he took over for the legendary Jack Fleming. And we'll talk all about uh, the influences that Jack had on Tony. If you want more on Jack Fleming, you can go back through the archives of this podcast, I believe episode 9 is Bill Hillgrove, who's the voice of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He talks a lot about the influence uh, and his relationship with Jack Fleming as well, if you want to scroll back in and and get a little bit more of a historical perspective. Tony is a guy, though, that, uh, and we'll get into it, is from New York, wound up eventually for the end of his collegiate career at Syracuse. So we'll talk a little bit about W8ER and his experiences there, as we've done with some other guys previously. Uh, so he will dive into his time at W8ER. He'll talk about Jack Fleming. He'll talk about the growth of uh, his professional career in West Virginia. And we'll also end on Bob Huggins. So if you're curious what it's like to be around uh, to be around Huggy Bear, we will get into some Bob Huggins talk as well. 
on this podcast. But we were going to dive right in with where we started today. Life is crazy right now. What's it like for Tony Caridi? What is camp like? What is his prep like? What is lead up to college football season like for Tony Caridi? Right here on PXPCast. I think it's uh, a couple of different things. I think it's refreshing where you were when the season ended last year in regard to personnel and those folks that are coming back. And then starting that process of who's moving up on the depth chart and who are the newcomers that could make an impact. I think it's it's a fun time because I think you just have to be kind of like an octopus grabbing and clinging on to anything and everything that you can get your hands on to or conversations that you can have to figure out the direction of where the team is going and um, it's uh, it's fun I, I enjoy that aspect of it because ultimately um, you know you're a storyteller and you got to get all the pieces and all the ingredients and all the characters kind of lined up before you start to tell that story which you do when the games um, start to be played how much are you uh, and obviously there's a lot written about a school like West Virginia because you're a power five school you get uh, a lot of coverage but how much are you reading? How much are you talking to guys? How much are you going over old notes in terms of reliving kind of past conversations you might have had with some guys to jog your memory? Very little with old notes. Um, I kind of just start fresh. And to be quite honest with you, I think that I've I've learned through the years that the, the, the most nuggets of gold come from conversations with players and with coaches. Because I think that some of the stuff, obviously, in game notes and, and things like that and media guides, um, they're, they're so promotional in their intent that you're, you're really not going to get the, the true really good stuff that you're going to be able to um, use in a broadcast. I mean, stats are stats are stats. You're going to get be able to get that stuff. But when you talk to a coach and you put questions to him in perspective, uh, which I kind of like to do, you know, for example, we've got a new offensive coordinator and Jake Spavitol. He had been here once before. Now he's back. Uh, he left here to go coach uh, Texas A&M where he coached Johnny Manziel. And then he was at Cal last season with Davis Webb. Uh, he had been with Case Keenum before. He'd been with Brandon Whedon before. So he's had like five or six quarterbacks that have gone on to play in the pros. Yeah. And so you, you ask him questions questions like, okay, everyone's different, but let's put this into perspective here. We've got a really good quarterback coming up and Will Greer who transferred in from Florida. Talk to me about where does he fit in those categories where those guys excel, where does he need help? That's the stuff you'll never be able to read. Those are the kind of things that kind of give you a background as to what you're dealing with and also things that you can uh, that you use during the broadcast to kind of you know illuminate where this guy is. What's the most important question you ask players? Uh, I feel like a lot of times this time of year you get a lot of the, what have you worked on? Uh, what kind of <laughs> tweaks did you make? That kind of stuff. And a lot of times you don't get terribly in-depth responses. Um, you get a lot of blanket. Oh, I try to get better everywhere. Uh, what's most important for you when talking to those guys that gives you uh, the things that, that are gold? I think questions that begin with a what or a question begins with how those lead to the best answers. I think if you leave them a question where they can uh, give you a yes or a no, that's what you're going to get. And I think you need to ask direct questions. Um, and so I think that, you know, something in the line, they're all going to say this. Every single college football team in the country right now says, we had our best off-season conditioning that we've ever had, and it was the most difficult that we've ever had. And then they say this, and our chemistry is good as it's ever been. Those are the three absolutes this time of year. 
that's fine. So you got to get rid of all that junk and you got to dive into putting things into perspective for them. Okay. For example, uh, we've got a kid uh, that came in a year ago as a junior college player and, you know, what are the biggest differences in your ability to understand this offense today than they were a year ago at this time when you were standing here? What can you do differently that you weren't able to do? Those lead to good answers. Those kind of make them be a little bit more introspective and give you that kind of stuff. So I think questions that start with what and how are always the best. How do you gear yourself up to call games again? Uh, just get yourself back in that mode. Do you, are you a guy that listens back in the off season, um, or that listens back when the season starts and tries to kind of get your 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 gears churning and thinking in that regard? You know, not enough, um, but I have recently. Uh, my son's getting ready to start his career in play-by-play, and he's got a Division two job. And so we've been going over stuff over the last uh, couple of weeks, and it's very important, I think, because, you know, little things make a big difference. And, you know, you kind of forget because you do so many things once the football season it rolls right into basketball, as you know, and you kind of forget certain situations. So I do, and I, and I do think that – this is obviously this is a, a position or a job that you can never, ever think, well, I got it. I think every single broadcast that you do, you can do better. There's never been a perfect broadcast. And I, I enjoy this more now than I've, than I've ever enjoyed it because I'm looking at it from a different perspective of, you know, now really trying to refine every every specific detail and I'm happy about that because I don't feel by any stretch um, that I've that I've got the thing figured out so to me it's constantly trying to improve yet having the knowledge and the ability to know that I've got a wealth of experience so now I'm kind of fine-tuning if that makes sense even after doing this thing for a lot of years What's it like, by the way, um, I was going to bring it up later, but uh, what is it like having a son that is now in this industry uh, and and uh, wanting to follow in your footsteps, but also kind of carve his own niche and, and do it in a state where the last name Caridi is so well known with, with what you do? Mind-boggling, to be honest, <laughs> in, the, in, in this regard. Um, if I, I've got three boys, and if someone were to say to me, which of your three are going to be going into sports, <laughs> he would be the third. And if he said 150 words growing up as a kid in a week, that'd be a big week. And when he came to me when he was a senior in high school and said, you know, I want to, I want to be a play by play guy. I said, I literally said this to him. I said, no, you do realize you have to talk. And he, he kind of kind of gave me the look and the smile. And um, it, it's it's been really, really neat because he gravitated toward the sports that I really don't have um, any experience in. Um, he, he fell in love with hockey, and that is his, that's his number one sport, and soccer. Um, he had a great run this past year because WVU's uh, women's team played for the national championship, and he was able to go all the way through and do the national championship game. That's Cool. And then baseball. And so he's done those three sports, and now he'll go football, basketball. So um, it's uh, this is really um, pretty wild to, to, to watch this happen. It's, it's kind of mind-boggling, like I said. You always think about, like, if, if I were to have to sit down right now and do long division, I don't know how well it would go. Uh, and, you, like, I always remember when you're a kid and you're trying to do your homework and you're like, Dad, come help me with this long division, and, like, suddenly they have to sit down and figure it out with you. Uh, did you have a moment while he is learning the craft uh, where you kind of sat down and looked at 
what you do and even a different perspective and kind of went back to the rudimentary levels of it and, and had something click differently just because of kind of putting on a different pair of glasses? Your, your question is unbelievable because it did. And as I said earlier on, I've, I'm enjoying this now more <laughs> than I have in the past. A year ago, that really started for me where I really did put, the, put it in a different perspective because I was trying to help him when he started doing baseball. He started doing minor league baseball last year. Uh, we have a short season single A team here in Morgantown. And so I started to kind of, you know, walk him through the process. And it did make me stop and say, okay, this is this is this is what we're doing. This is what you're trying to do. This is how you're trying to accomplish it. And you know, use all of those analogies that we use to try to communicate. Okay, this is what a play-by-play person is supposed to be doing. This is who you're serving as your audience. This is how you describe this. You do say this. You don't go this way. And yeah, it's made me stop and and think about it. And and that's kind of rekindled it uh, a little bit for me because thinking about exactly what it is that we're doing, um, you know, kind of makes it more valuable to me. I want to come back to, uh, to, to where you're at now and kind of your career now uh, in a second, but if we can dive into your development too, back when, when you were his age, uh, if we can visit WAER for a second, uh, I know you transferred to Syracuse after you started at Geneseo, if I've got that right. That's right. Yes. Uh, hidden, known as the hidden Harvard, Joel. <laughs> right. Is it? Ah, we we used to say that, but no. <laughs> it's actually no. Because people always mess with me. They say, "Wait a second, where'd you go? Like a junior college or something?" I said, "No, it's the State University of New York at Geneseo." And to be quite honest with you, if you look it up now, um, it's it's considered it really is a very good a very good college. Uh, you know, like Tariko always kids about Syracuse. <laughs> Tariko always says, "I don't think I could get into Newhouse again at Syracuse." Uh, I'm probably not sure if I could have got into Geneseo. Again, but uh, yeah, that's where I started off, and then I finished up at Syracuse. Take me through going to WAER, um, which people that are, are not familiar with is the student station there, where all your your Marvs and your Bob Costases and Mike Tarikos came through. Uh, what was it like in the '80s? Just because I, I feel like that that was kind of a golden age of, of people that came through that station. Uh, who was there with you, and, and what was it like? It was it was absolutely wonderful. So I arrived as a junior, did not know anyone at all at Syracuse, but I had an internship uh, my freshman and sophomore years of college and realized that I needed a, uh, a stronger challenge in the broadcast realm. And so that's why I transferred out. And so by the time I had gotten to Syracuse, I had finished all my core classes. So it was like straight Newhouse classes and just a very small few other things that I had to finish up. And and so for me, I knew I immediately had to engage. So I got involved with campus television station and I got involved with AER. And I remember this, that when they had the organizational meeting to start the school year at, uh, at AER, um, there were 60 kids that showed up. So 60 wannabe guys doing play by play. And I went like, whoa, this is thick. And so you, you fill out your little note card and you, you went through this long process to be what we would call cleared to be on the air to do games. Like everyone wants to do the games. And so they would filter it out by saying, okay, you have to do a writing shift for a sportscaster. And it was all student run at that time. And you have to go cover, you know, a, you, you get assigned a minor sport or an Olympic sport and you'd have to get, you know, pull tape and do all these kinds of things. So there was this like ladder of things that you had to do. And then ultimately you'd go inside 
the dome, um, and you would bring a tape recorder and your manila folder, and you would uh, record a game, and you would submit that cassette, dating myself, to the student sports director. They would critique it. And if it was good enough, then you would get cleared to do games. And if it wasn't, then you'd have to go back to the drawing board. So it was a process. And so what happened was those 60 kids, uh, like anything else, uh, attrition takes place. And that list kind of, those kids just kind of fall off. And then you get down to the the, the group. And I, I tell you what, we had an unbelievable, amazing group of guys uh, that were there. Um, for example, uh, Greg Papa, uh, who's now the voice of the Oakland Raiders, uh, was the sports director. And uh, Sean McDonough uh, was the assistant sports director. Um, Danny Horde was a year younger. He was a, ju- he was a sophomore when I was a junior. He's now the voice of the Bengals and the Bearcats. Jim Jackson was in that same class with Dan. Um, he was, he's with the Philadelphia Flyers uh, as their TV voice and does some Philly stuff. Um, Rich Samini uh, was writing for the Daily Orange, the newspaper, and obviously the ESPN.com with the Jets. Um, Pete Haskell's WCBS radio uh, in New York. I mean, there's just Craig Mintervini, uh has been down in South Florida for years doing the Marlins and doing uh, the Panthers. And we were all this really super tight group, and we would hang out together. And it was incredibly competitive. Everyone wanted the same thing. And it was it was fantastic. Billy Roth uh, was a freshman when we were seniors, and um, he went on. Obviously, he's done at Virginia Tech for 25 years. Was at UCLA for a season. Hall of Fame guy. So it was an amazing group of guys that were all together at that one time. Uh, what was Sean McDonough like as a college kid and college broadcaster? <laughs> well, I lived with him my senior year. Okay, and uh, absolutely off the chart hilarious. I mean, we had times. Um, so on a typical Sunday, it would not be unusual that we'd all be sitting in a suite in Watson dorm watching football and you'd have all these giants and jets guys and they'd be screaming and Sean screaming about the Patriots. And at that time, Parcells, Bill Parcells was real good. So Sean would walk around and he'd have these oversized headsets on that we used to have back then. And he'd plug the power cord into his pocket and he'd walk around doing his Bill Parcells, uh, making the gyrations and the signals calling the plays. And so it was, I mean, everyone's doing their Marv imitation and everyone's doing, you know, it was, it was, it was wonderful. It was one of the best times of my life and you know a lot of us have stayed uh, very you know close through the years as you probably know Newhouse guys stay together uh, much to the chagrin I guess of the non-Newhouse people in the business but we stay together and I think it was it's a, it's a wonderful fraternity. Did you know then that kind of that group was going to be what it is now? Well, no, probably not at that level. Um, you know, you had an indication because uh, Greg Papa, when we were seniors, Bill Taft, the legendary writer from Sports Illustrated, was the radio TV guy, wrote a feature story on Greg Papa. He came in to do a thing on AER and heard Greg doing a game, and basically it became a feature for Greg. So he catapulted right into the NBA, and he did the Pacers right out of, uh, out of college. And Sean um, went – and did Ivy League sideline football 
right off the bat. But obviously, I mean, his name was well established because of his dad um, in the Boston area. And, you know, while that certainly opened up some doors initially for him, um, he would never have gotten to where he is um, if he wasn't incredibly talented. You know, your name will open a door, but if you're not any good, they'll show you the other side of the door. <laughs> and so um, you knew those two guys were going to go. But, you know, like the Dan Hordes of the world, I mean, you just don't know where it's going to end up. Jimmy Jackson, you know, went to Utica, New York and did, um, you know, he did minor league hockey there and did baseball there. And, you know, it's a, it's a struggle and you just wait for that opportunity. And I'm, I'm thrilled, you know, that all those guys uh, persevered over the years and, and everyone's doing uh, everyone's doing really well. You wind up in West Virginia fairly right out of school, right? Seven weeks after I graduated. Yeah. How, and, and, I, and I've read multiple <laughs> stories where you, you, you basically said, I, I thought I'd be here for six months. And, you know, here we are in 2017. Um, what was it like for you? And this is probably a loaded question, and there's a lot of different ways to come at it. But I think when people think Tony Caridi now, they associate you so much with West Virginia, not just the state, but also now the university, too. Uh what was the process for you of of kind of ingraining yourself and becoming this this guy and this personality and this voice that now people associate with West Virginia University and and in particular in a lot of ways you know West Virginia? That's a good question. Um, I I think that as I said when I first got here, the reason I the reason I did this was because number one I needed a job. And I was doing overnight news right when I graduated from Syracuse. And I'd gotten a letter uh, from Dick Stockton, another Syracuse guy. He had listened to my tape um, when I was still in school and, you know, kind of offered some suggestion. I remember I still have the letter. It's single space, typed, oh, wow. single space letter. And he said, you know, one of the great things you might want to look at is a college, college town because things are happening and things are changing there. And so I get a call for a news job in Morgantown because of this, the news director at the student radio station at Syracuse had known the news director here that was hiring. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to go get reps. I'm just going to get experience because there was a possibility for a little sports along with that news stuff. And I just want I just need repetition because that's what this business is more than anything else. And so what happened was the, the company that I came to work for, um, is a very unique radio company in that privately owned and right at that time they were deciding they wanted to create a statewide news sports network satellite delivered first one in the state and they said okay you stay here you can become the sports director and what happened Joel was that every it seemed that at the end of every season there was always another reason to stay and so 84 and 85, I start to get a little trickle here and there. 86, I start doing some feature work for the Mountaineer Sports Network. At that time, we were broadcasting delay on delay football games. And I, I worked with Tom Meese, believe it or not, from ESPN. Mm-hmm. He'd come in, do the play-by-play. I would do color. And then I started to do the play-by-play. Um, and then I was given the opportunity to stay here in Morgantown and freelance. And so... I ended up doing um, the, the, what it was then the Mutual College Game of the Week, which then eventually became the Westwood College Football Game of the Week. And so there were always reasons why not to well, – you don't need to leave. You can still do your stuff. And I started doing you know, syndicated stuff, uh, Atlantic 10 Game of the Week, Big East Game of the Week. And then before you know it, I'm married. Our first child's born in 91, continued to do the freelance stuff and the Mountaineer Sports Network. And then 
the legendary voice of the Mountaineers, Jack Fleming, um, who a lot of people may remember from the Immaculate Reception call. He was also the voice of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Jack got sick. And in 96, I started to do most of the games. And in 97, I took over full time. And at that time, you know, my twins were uh, two years old. Michael, our oldest, was a little bit older. He was uh, six years old. And to me, I looked at it and I said, uh, half my games are going to be at home. And that's a good thing And from a travel perspective. And so I think in a long way to answer your question, I think what happened was I just stayed through the course of time. And by hosting a talk show every night, which I've done since 1986, people just feel more and more comfortable with you so that when the voice of the Mountaineers after 43 or 44 years steps down, it was an easier not a simple, but an easier transition than it would have been had someone just come in out of the blue that they didn't know. We had Bill Hillgrove on the podcast uh, several weeks ago. Um, he was one of the early guests. Uh, he talked a lot about uh, what he learned from a guy like Jack Fleming. Uh, how much of a mentor was Jack to you? Huge. Huge. He was great. Um, I mean, he was like this. I mean, he was like a legendary guy so that when he would come in the station this time of year to cut the promos for the season, you're just kind of like, whoa, Jack's coming in. Um, Had this wild career. You know, he was the voice of the Mountaineers uh, back in the 50s when Jerry West and those guys were played for a national championship. Then he was the voice of the Chicago Bulls. He'd been the voice of the Steelers for many, many years, did all those Super Bowls, their initial run of Super Bowls, did the Immaculate Reception. And so he was a great guy. And so I was the board operator when he got here he was still doing the uh the basketball coaches weekly radio show and so i would i uh, would be with them and i'd ask him questions and i'd show him football formation i'd say hey how do you call this what would you call this how would you say this and he was great about it and eventually and i'd spot for him a little bit spotted for him during the national championship game in 88 uh when west virginia played notre dame and major harris uh, at the fiesta bowl so i really i really learned a lot from him i learned a ton from him uh and more so than just listening or more so than just you know dialogue face to face was listening to him do games. He was truly one of the all-time great play-by-play announcers, not from a West Virginia perspective, but if you ask guys, you know, and I've asked, you know, Dick Enberg, and I've asked Musburger, and I've asked these guys, uh, Keith Jackson, um, they were like, he was one of the all-time greats, and he truly was. He was a great, great announcer. Did it take you a while to become okay with the fact that like, I'm Tony Caridi, voice of the Mountaineers, when, like, did you ever think to yourself, like, Jack Fleming's the voice of the Mountaineers, and this is going to take a while. Yeah, it'll it'll take forever. I don't use the title. Um, they retired the title to him in 1988. Um, you know, many eight years before he uh, before he finished up his career, they retired Voice of the Mountaineers to him. So people are like, well, what are you? Well, I'm just <laughs> I'm just the play by play guy, uh, which is totally fine. And it's totally fine. You know, it may have been. I'm not a title guy to begin with, but like I really don't. It doesn't matter to me. Don't care, and it's a great respect thing for Jack. Um, truly is because, you know, he was the voice of the Mountaineers when radio meant 
something different than it does today. That was the that was the the black and white era of radio when there were no television games. When uh, people would go and drive their vehicles to the highest point that they could find so that they could listen to the games. He was their voice. He was their eyes, and they, he was beloved because of that. And things obviously through technology have changed nowadays. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm totally good uh, with him being the voice of the Mountaineers. It's uh, it was and it was, I'm really really happy that I didn't come in like three or four years after he was gone um, and didn't know him. I'm glad that I got to know him. Uh, You said something interesting in there, which where you would show him certain things and say, how would you call this? Uh, Mm -hmm. What what kind of things are you talking about? And and what kind of conversations are like that? Well, you know, I was doing high school at the time. You know, high school throws some crazy formations out there. And I'd say, you know, they might they, they might throw a wing over here. They'll go with a double wing or they put a, you know, a split back. You know, they might go like a flanker to the left, split end to the right, a tight end, strong right. I just wanted to I wanted to learn his phraseology, you know, out of all that. Um, if the backs are in an eye but they're split, are they offset, you know, offset to the left? Um, and, you know, I think he would have a riot nowadays with these formations. I mean, you know, we're, it's crazy. I was, I was I mentioned my son earlier. We were watching stuff and we're looking at these formations and I go like, dude, if you can call these formations, there's nothing you're going to see that you're not going to be able to call. I mean, we're going not, we're going, we're going shotgun now with an eye formation off to the side of the quarterback. Uh, we're going pistol. We're going power pistol overloaded to the left, overloaded to the right. Um, and, and so all these different formations and all these changes, I would run them by him and say, how would you do this? Because I wanted to get, you know, what his thought was after so many years uh, of, of seeing it, what he, how he would describe certain things. When it comes to that in particular, and I'm just thinking how, how much, how, Where's the need to re-describe things or, or kind of reset things? If you're going to say the pistol, and obviously something like the pistol is something that is more ingrained with a football person's mind nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but initially, when something like that comes out, uh, how many times do you kind of reset what something like that is to be as descriptive as possible? Yeah. And then when does it kind of become assumed that, all right, this is this is what people know it is? That's a great question. It's probably, and the answer is probably not enough. Probably don't do it enough. You know, uh, you know, you say you just kind of say out of the gun, um, and so you're assuming that they know what it is that you mean. And then when you say conventional snap from center, you know, you hope that they mean they understand that the quarterback's under the center, um, but the pistol. Um, I probably do need to probably say that, you know, a couple times during the course of a game pistol formation, that means that the quarterback, you know, is in a shotgun and a running back is X number of yards behind and probably need to do that. And then you got to introduce, okay, so what's this power pistol? Well, the power pistol is a power running formation with a running back behind the quarterback with a lead blocker to one side. Um, And then when I go, you know, Dana Holgerson, our coach, he kind of brought in what I call the fully loaded pistol. So you've got, you've, it's a diamond. A lot of people call it a diamond. Uh, I was never really truly comfortable with the diamond, but so it's, it's a quarterback in a pistol formation with a running back, a lead blocker to his left and a lead blocker to his right. So I call that fully loaded pistol formation. I hope they understand. And there's four back there. Um, but you're right. Probably don't do it enough. And as far as recreation goes, it's a, it's a good point. I think that was one of Jack's great strengths. Um, then that's one of the things that I still try to do um, 
very much, and that is when there is a significant play, um, something more than a two or a three yard run, I will try to recreate um, exactly what that was to give them a second opportunity to let their mind's eye visualize what happened. And that truly was one of Jack Fleming's greatest attributes was his ability to do that. For what it's worth, our coaches call the uh, fully loaded pistol the the cone formation. Um. Yeah, see, <laughs> see, I mean, yeah, like Dana called, like Dana said to me, I, well, "What do you call it?" And he says, "Diamond." I said, "Well, what do you mean? Well, it's not diamond." <laughs> he goes, "What do you think it is?" I said, "Well, it's two, it's you know, two lead backs and a pistol. It's a fully loaded pistol," <laughs> and I think that's kind of descriptive. So, yeah, you know, you always go back and forth with that stuff. What's uh, and. What's the balance like for you in terms of setting all of that up? And obviously, that's basics and fundamentals of play-by-play is describe the formation. Um, but at the same time, not falling into a regimented, mm-hmm. every time Dwight Wallace, your analyst, stops talking, you just dive right into, here's where the receivers are, here's where the backs are. Um, but how do you? what do you do also to comfortably get yourself situated with what the defensive formation looks like? Because I, I feel like that can be something that too easily can fall by the wayside for, for a lot mm-hmm. of guys. Um, so mm-hmm. to, to, to mix that in, but then also how comfortable are you straying away from just a ton of description time to time to also tag something that uh, Dwight might say to you. Um, and then again, creating that balance. So there's not too much of one thing. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the great intangible, right? You just, there's no specific, recipe to say what is the correct balance and so i think that joel is probably something that comes with experience and goes back to what we were talking about earlier of going back and listening to what you were saying and listening to your games and i think obviously you're the one that can be the best judge of you know what i keep you know i'm I'm not saying it enough or i'm not giving formation enough or i need to do this so I just think it's a repetition and it's a it's a experience thing where you just get a feel as to when that listener can can get by not knowing that exactly that there were you know two receivers between the hash mark and the numbers to the left and two to the right in the same formation. I think you can get by once in a while but I think it's just kind of like this this unwritten feel that you get so that you're trying to let that person at home get it, but not at the same time suffocate them with minutia so that their mind can't process what's happening. I guess that said, is there a, is there a good way to tell stories in a football radio broadcast outside of timeouts and replays? Not anymore. I think that you used to be able to when they huddled, and at least not here, um, because well, yeah, it's, it's absolutely it's comical. Um, how fast it goes um, at times, and you know, we had a we had a game last year. And I've been working with Coach Wallace for since let's see here uh, since 2000, so 17 years. And we did a opening possession last season. He didn't say one word, <laughs> and that was and that was not me being an air hog. It's just that they literally came out and they just you know they practiced it all week. They had it scripted all week. They were going to go, and it was as fast as I could say the tackle, and as fast as they could put that ball down, it was gone again. And we looked at each other after the first possession was over, and we took a break. And I said, "You didn't say anything, did you?" He goes, "I didn't say a word." But that's just the nature of the game nowadays, you know? Um, so it is difficult. You know, I, I spend so much stinking time on the, on my charts and 
when you get done with the game and you look at them and you go, I didn't use anything. Is it worthwhile doing it? You know, because I never have changed through all the years as far as my notes and my prep, what I put into those boxes of every single player. And the answer ultimately is yes, it is still extremely important to do it because you just don't know when, you know, that person is going to be involved in a situation. They're down on the field, they're injured, and that's that one opportunity where you could download all of that data that you have about that particular person. And that, I think, gives you credibility to the listener that, you know, you're not doing it out, you're not going out there and, you know, doing it half butt. Um, you're totally into what it is and you got it. In case you need it, you got it. What's your interaction with Dwight like? Um, six degrees of separation. Uh, Dwight is the former head coach here at Ball State and uh, and still lives out here in Indiana. Uh, so I, I laughed when I saw him at, uh, at the golf outing a couple of years ago, and he initially brought up the fact that he knew who you were because he, he works with you. Uh, and and uh, we talked about how it all happens and how he doesn't live there, and he logs in yeah. and watches film remotely and then just meets you at the games. Um, what's communication like with your analyst when you guys physically really don't see each other until the day of the game or the day before the game? Well, because he is such a wonderful guy, such a wonderful guy, and his personality is so perfect for this. It's like, you know, I just, matter of fact, I just ran into him Monday. He came in because of our preseason radio meeting. It's like we've been together. It's like, you know, we've never left. And so, number one, he's got that type of personality. And then secondly, um, we, because of technology, he is able to watch tape at home. We have a conference call on Thursday mornings during the season of everyone involved in the broadcast we go over storylines, so I know what he's seen and what he's thinking, and our sideline reporter, Jed Drenning, um, he gives us his take, and everyone kind of gets their words in, and so then he either, he either comes to Morgantown, and we meet on Friday in Morgantown and go over stuff. We spend time in the booth before the broadcast on Saturday and go over you know information. If not, then we're on the road. We're doing it at dinner on Friday night, and so it, it works well. You know, I, I don't think there'd be a huge difference had he you know, still been living in Morgantown. I met him because, and this probably helps that I knew him. He was Major Harris's quarterbacks coach. He was our assistant head coach at West Virginia um, during that that run for the national championship, and was here for several years. And so I knew him. He was a friend. And so when the opportunity came to become the analyst, it was it was a simple. He was a natural at it. How long do those conference calls go, and what else gets discussed? Where we're going to eat, where we're going to eat, and where we're going to eat. No, <laughs> they they can go anywhere. I mean, they could go 45 minutes. You okay. know, it literally starts. We've been doing it for years. It's kind of like, all right, guys, here's the deal. Here's the travel this week. This is how we're going to get there. Okay, now let's go. Tony, what do you got? And I just kind of give you, here's my deal. Here's what I think this game means. Here's what I think came out of last week's game. Uh, here's where we need to go. Here's the concerns for this week. Here's where we are with injuries. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about last week's broadcast. Were there any issues? Were there any bumps that we have to fix? And then everyone just kind of takes their turn. And I think it kind of gives everyone a good perspective. What are we going to have in pregame? Uh, who, you know, who's doing this? What do we got? And it, it kind of... You know, the worst thing you could do, man, and you know this, is put two guys on a microphone and just go fill five minutes. That's that's not good. And so I think if everything is scripted to the point of in this particular segment, guys, we're going to talk about this and this, that's fine. You don't have to have script of what you're going to talk about, but you're going to have a key 
topic that you're going to discuss during that period. I think that kind of keeps it live and fresh, but at the same time, it's not like, you know, these wandering guys just trying to fill time to take the next break. How does that carry over into the actual game itself? And in terms of being able to paint a consistent story arc, obviously that gets detoured when certain things happen in the action, but you're coming into a game saying this, 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 and this are Mm storylines. And I've had games where at the end of it, I'll say like, well, you know, I called the action really well, but I feel like I lost the meaning of the game somewhere in the third quarter. Um, yeah, I mean, that's okay. That, so there you go. So that's what I talked about when I said there's no, there's been no such thing as a perfect game, because to me, to me, right? You know, we we get lied to all the time, and they tell us that what we're watching on television is reality TV, or actually, what reality radio is is play by play, because you can prepare all week long for something, and coaches kind of take you aside and they'll say, "Hey, this week, uh, this is what we're going to be doing," and then you never see it. That's <laughs> an, that always happens. I mean, football coaches are the greatest liars of all time, and it's not that they lie; it's that they think something's going to be there and they're ready to do it and then it doesn't happen and you go back to them at the end and you go like hey man i thought you were going to run so and so and they go like well you know, didn't give it to us so you never know and to me that's the fun of it the fun of it to me is that you just have to figure it out as you're going along okay what is happening in front of my eyes when you take a break you kind of just got to take a breath and go like okay what's happening what's going on statistically what's going on i think there's three or four statistical categories that you can always follow that will kind of give you a very heavy lean as to where the thing is going and then you tell you know you tell your story based upon what those numbers are telling you i will uh one more question i'll let you go on this note because uh uh, I'm, I'm over on the time I, I asked you for, um, and I know I've got to let you get to work also. Um, but I've asked this question to some people before on the podcast that uh, work with interesting characters as coaches. And I'm curious your uh, impressions and what it is like professionally uh, and, and both the, the joys and challenges of it professionally of working with Bob Huggins. <laughs> He, uh, so I've worked with a lot of guys. He's absolutely the best. Absolutely, without question, he's the best. Um, when he took the job here 10 years ago, Dan Horde, as I mentioned earlier, was the voice at Cincinnati. And so I called Dan. I said, okay, what's the deal like with hugs? <laughs> and he said, he said, buddy, you're going to love him. He's the absolute best. He said, just one thing. I said, what is it? He said, just be ready after every question that you ask for about a four and a half second pregnant pause where in turn you're waiting and you're saying to yourself, I just may have asked the worst question in the history of radio, but don't be affected by that. He'll give you the answer. And so he's the, he's the paradox of what he looks like on the sideline. So he's animated and fired up on the sideline, but the only time he's like that is in a game. And he's to a lesser extent like that in practice. He's like that sometimes in practice. But other than that, when we're traveling, he never gets too high. He never gets too low. He's chilled out. And whenever there's a media situation, as far as, you know, I'm concerned, it's it's been 10 years. It's like, whatever you need, T, got it. Let's do it. 
not a problem. And so he's the most accommodating guy I've ever seen. Um, you know, most of these coaches in f- basketball now, as you know, they wear 13 piece suits and they, uh, they stay in their, they stay in their team's locker room until the absolute moment before the game starts. And they come out like Elvis used to come out on stage. Like it's this big deal. Hugs is out there two hours before a game, just hanging out, sitting in the stands. People come up. He's signing autographs. He's taking pictures. I've seen him sign autographs and pose for pictures when the team literally is in the last 30 seconds of its warm-up before they come to the bench for the anthem. It's no big deal. And so he is, like I said, he's the, he's, he's the best to uh, to work with and he's been it's been a great great time great run for him I'm happy that um, you know we've been uh, really good and we're going to be good again this year um, and so he's he's done great things here it's been ten seasons Final Four Sweet Sixteens Elite Eight and things like that so it's been a good it's been a lot of fun it's funny you say that because his niece is uh, is our best player here at Ball State on the women's team right and right I think her it was her freshman year I had reached out to the SID's office at West Virginia. And I said, can we, if, if I sent you some questions, could I have coach Huggins answer them on camera and we'll use them in a, in a video on Mariah. And I, one of the questions was like, you know, just describe the feeling of watching your niece. Cause they're close, go out there and, and, and not just play basketball, but kind of thrive and Excel. And you can hear them on the video asking the question. And he's just got this four and a half pregnant, four and a half second pregnant pause and then just very very uh almost melancholy uh answer the question and it was funny because i went down to our head coach and i i I told him like i was like i got this video and like huggins just seems like he's talking about somebody down the street uh and and our coach is like he he knows he's talking about his niece right i was like i think so but like um so it was just funny that you said that because it 100 percent rings true with the the only experience i've had with him and, I, and I'll tell you, I'll leave you on this. His coaches show, his radio coaches show that we do, it's two hours. And we do it at a local uh, establishment here in Morgantown. It's the most, I will go on record, it's the most unique coaches show in the country today. <laughs> it's like nothing you've ever heard of. As I often say, it's so bad, it's really good. <laughs> we've, got our, we've got our color analyst, Jay Jacobs, uh, who came in to WVU in the Jerry West recruiting class. So Jay's 79 now and is absolutely fall down, stupid, funny and hugs just loves doing the show. And it's just locked out, sold out. And it's just a fun time. So it's been a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. That one totally caught me out of left field. I did not see that coming. I, I'm kind of thrilled to learn that Bob Huggins is that kind of guy to deal with. Uh, it honestly sounds like a lot of fun <laughs> and and kind of different of, of the public persona uh, that he gives off in certain respects. He, he's got this kind of crusty exterior, um, but I mean, Tony sounds like he loves working with the guy uh, and Dan Horde before him as well. Uh, I'll have to ask Dan about it. We'll, we'll have to get Dan on the podcast at some point coming up here and uh, and talk about that as well. Um I love this convo though with uh, with Tony Caridi. So I was glad we were able to to uh, connect and touch base. And small world that Dwight Wallace is his analyst and the former head coach here at Ball State. Dwight Wallace, as the analyst for West Virginia, comes back most years to the Ball State football golf outing to play in a in a uh, quartet with a guy named Mark O'Connell, who when I first got to Ball State was my radio analyst. 
It's crazy how this business works out. I guess how life works out sometimes. Forget this business. It's just how six degrees of separation. That's more like two degrees of separation, but it's a small world, isn't it? Anyway, thanks to Tony Caridi. Thanks, as always, to you guys for clicking subscribe and download. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, please go rate us and review us. Throw some stars our way on either iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want more episodes, you can scroll through our back catalog as well to find more episodes and other conversations of PXPCast. I don't yet know who we're going to have on the pod next week, so stay tuned. We'll, uh, we'll pull one out of a hat and, uh, and see what comes your way. Hit it, Marshmallow. We are out.